This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Before I invite today's guest to join us, I just want you to take a second to think about how much time you have spent thinking about your appearance. How much time have you spent thinking about your body, your weight, the way that you look, your hair, your makeup, what you're going to wear during the day? Think about on a daily basis how often those thoughts pass through your mind and then consider over the course of a week or a month or a year how much time you dedicate mentally to thinking about your appearance. And then I want you to think about how much time you actually commit to putting on clothes, putting on makeup, doing your hair, shaving your legs, discussing beauty or your appearance, working out in ways that are really focused on the way that you look. I want you to consider if you were to take that time that you've spent on the way that you look and somebody was to give it all back to you and told you you can do anything you want with that time, but it can't have anything to do with your appearance. What would you spend that time doing? Where would you invest that time? In today's episode, I'm going to be diving into a conversation about the beauty industry, beauty ideals, how they impact us as women, both mentally and physically, and what the hell we can do about this crazy world that we're living in. My guest, Renee Anglin, is a psychology professor and director of the Body and Media Lab at Northwestern University. She is the author of Beauty Sick, How the Cultural Obsession with Our Appearance Hurts Girls and Women. Her research and writing focuses on issues surrounding women's body images with an emphasis on how cultural forces shape the relationship women have with their bodies. Her work has appeared everywhere, including the New York Times, The Atlantic, HuffPost. She's done a TEDx talk, which has garnered over 700,000 views. And we are just going to crack open her mind to really gain a better understanding of what we're up against in regards to the beauty industry and feeling enough as a woman or a man in this world today. In this episode, Renee shares five band-aids that you can use to support a healthier body image in a world obsessed with beauty. Renee, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hello. I am so honored to have you on the show and to be able to pick your brain because I know you have spent like hours and hours and years of your life dedicated to the topic. I'm looking right now at the wall behind you and there are like 500 <laughs> certifications, all the things. Oh. And so, I mean, let's just start at the beginning. Obviously, when you're doing this kind of work and now you're teaching and you're writing and you're speaking, you've got to be pretty passionate about what you're talking about. I Where am. Where does that passion come from? Where does that spark come from? So I should say that those things on my wall, those are not diplomas or certifications. <laughs> those are teaching awards. And well, I put them amazing. I put them on my wall so that I see them so that they remind me what's important because that's where my passion comes from is from the time I spend with my students and from the time I spend 
particularly with, with young women who have been fighting beauty battles for so many years already and are still having these, having these struggles, despite the fact that there's so many other things going on in their lives, right? I think a lot about what that means that, you know, almost 20 years after I started studying this topic, I still have students in my classes who have yet to find a way to sort of release this burden of, of worrying so much about how they look. So yeah, that's, that's what that was for. Oh my gosh. I love it. Do you think having been part of this conversation now, as you said, for over 20 years, that the burden has lifted at all, or is it becoming heavier? Has it shifted or changed? Like, are we making any progress? I'll say no and yes. I would love to have a really happy answer to that question. And I think the naive answer is yes, right? It's like, oh, there's the body positivity movement and we're we're finally seeing some changes in representation in media. And I just think it is such a trickle, right? It's such a trickle, the improvement we're seeing and it's it's facing a flood, right? So if anything, the number of things that women feel like they have to do just to be okay walking outside the door in the morning, it's grown and grown and grown even since I was young, right? Or even since I started teaching, like the, the things I learn about, which are maybe no shock to, to your listeners, but eyelash extensions, that Botox, was the new thing a few years ago, right? And it's yes. like, when I was in college, bikini waxing wasn't even a thing, right? right? That, that wasn't, and I bring that up as an example. I hope that's okay. Because I remember maybe like 10 years ago, I was in a locker room at a gym and I overheard these two young women talking. They're maybe like high school or college age. And they are like, Oh, that woman, she's such a heathen. She doesn't even get a bikini wax. And I remember, I mean, I don't think they, (laughs) I was covered. They were not reflecting on my body, but I don't know who they were talking about. But I thought a lot about that. And I was like, what? So it's like just another new thing. The fact that you could be called a heathen for, you know, not ripping some particular kind of body hair out. It blows my mind, right? It blows my mind that we continue to make progress in so many ways and that we have so many people who care about this issue. Mm -hmm. I get emails from young girls all the time from like junior high or sometimes even younger saying like, I'm going to do this thing about body image. And I've been getting these emails forever. And I don't think I'd still be getting them if they weren't still struggling. I don't know that things have gotten better. I think social media, I know this is just the thing everyone says, but it's also true, but it's made a lot of things worse for a lot of people. And one of the things it's done is massively increased the amount of mental space that I think a lot of people feel like they need to dedicate to thinking about how they look or to thinking about how other people look, plastic surgery, and then like non-invasive procedures you mentioned, like, you know, Botox and fillers and things. If you plot how quickly those are increasing, it's astronomical. And I want to be clear, no judgment here, right? This this isn't about judging anyone who does it, but it is about I think reckoning with the fact that these behaviors, these pressures, they're not neutral, right? They have an impact on women's lives and the choices we make around them are not as free as we like to pretend they are. I want to unpack all of that. I mean, you wrote an incredible book called Beauty Sick, which we're going to link to in the show notes. Why are we so obsessed with the way that we look? 
part of it, I'll be honest, is natural, right? I think it comes from evolution. I think we have to acknowledge that. I, I hear people say like, I don't ever notice how other people look. And I just think that's really cute. That's sweet, but it's false, right? We, we evolved to be really sensitive to how other people look. We're never going to turn that off, right? We're always going to care about how we look and how other people look. But what's happened is that we had this sort of seed that this is something we notice. We are very visual creatures. We notice visual things, assuming that you have sight, right? So what happens is that we now live in a culture that's just turned that up as high as it can go. So it's taken advantage of a natural human tendency to be sensitive to issues of appearance and then just played on every vulnerability we have on it and flooded us with beauty images and with advertisements for diets, for beauty products, for plastic surgery. And you can't swim in this every day and not be affected by it. I wish women would give themselves a little bit of a break around this. I hear a lot of women say like, why can't I be done with this by now? Why can't I be over it? And you're swimming yeah. in this pool. Yeah. Images, standards, expectations, mm-hmm. values that all lean and skew towards this specific type of beauty. And you can't live in a culture and not be shaped by it. That's a fantasy. It's it's not how our brains work. So I think you got to give yourself a little bit of a break for having been impacted by a toxic culture. And it doesn't mean you can't do anything about it or that you can't try to swim upstream, but it does mean this is not something we can turn off. I focus a lot on how we can turn it down. I think that's the more realistic metaphor, maybe. I love that. And I, if we continue on with the analogy of the pool, it's like, how do you create a bit of a protective layer between you and the water mm-hmm. that you're swimming in or like yeah. clear a bit of a path for yourself so that it's mm-hmm. not like, so you're not breathing it right. in all the time constantly. Right. I'm so excited to chat with you about some of those tools, because I know a lot of women are like, I recognize that I'm being impacted by this. Mm-hmm. I know that I have these beliefs that I'm not good enough or that my body isn't enough but I just, I can't figure out the steps to take to start moving out of that space. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that, but before we dive into that, I'm curious to know how does this obsession with beauty impact us? I think of these impacts in sort of three buckets or three categories. So there's an impact on our physical health and that can either be indirect because of the stress and the pressure, you know, it's not good for your health, or it can be direct, meaning that you're, you're doing things that are actually dangerous or unhealthy for your body in the name of beauty, waste trainers or detox teas, or, you know, what, whatever it is you're trying that could actually be hurting your body. There's a mental health impact that most every woman I've ever talked to is, is familiar with, right. That worrying about how you look can make you anxious. It can make you depressed. It can really start a sort of downward spiral. And then there are practical implications too, which is when you're stuck in that spiral of worrying about how you look, it's harder to engage with your life, right? It's harder to go out and do the things you want to do, but it's also an issue of money and time. These beauty pursuits are not free. They're quite expensive and we have industries dedicated to providing options all along the wealth continuum, right? So no matter how much money you have. Um, There will be someone ready to separate it from you in the name of feeding this fantasy about beauty and time, right? Time is, is a big thing too, that I think we don't recognize enough how much of an impact our beauty practices can have on the free time we have available. And there are a lot of people who struggle with feeling like they don't have enough time, but women struggle with that in particular, 
Uh, women are more likely in surveys to say that they always feel like they're in a rush, or that they never have enough time. And in fact, there's also research showing that women have less leisure time um, mm-hmm. compared to men. And some of that time is being eaten up by caretaking duties and things like that. But some of it is in beauty work. And I think it's okay to call it work. It feels like work sometimes. It mm-hmm. <laughs> feels like work sometimes. I mean, I'm somebody who loves you know, having a night out and getting dressed up and like Mm -hmm. putting on some makeup, but it feels more like a chore when you have to do your hair every day and put on mascara and show up for the videos and this and that. And it's like, Mm -hmm. you don't really want to do that stuff without having your face on. I remember somebody saying at one point, like, are you going to go put your face on? It's like, uh, my face is actually already on. (laughs) This is it. Yeah. (laughs) This is the face, but the expectation that we do all of these things before we're presentable to the world, there's no doubt that that is taking one of our greatest currencies, as far as I'm concerned, which is time. Yeah. I remember saying in a recent podcast that I did with Ariel Laurie that I feel like the more women that I talk to and the more I see how this is seeping into and impacting all levels of their life, the more I see this as being a concern of overall feminism. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're having these conversations about how women are not being paid equally and are not holding as many C suite positions. And I'm curious to know how this story about our obsession with beauty impacts our ability to progress forward. Yeah. I mean, this is an issue of gender equality. It it absolutely is when there's a a set of constraints or requirements that exist for one gender and not other genders, right? That's real. That has an impact on your life. And I think that our culture is very good at making us feel that we have chosen things that we have not actually chosen. I think it's really hard to disentangle those roots. So it's hard to tell these days, right? What's free and what's not. And part of that when it comes to beauty is that we have industries who are now capitalizing on this use of like faux feminist rhetoric to sell beauty products and practices. I should be clear. There's nothing anti-feminist about wearing makeup. I don't think so. Right. But there's nothing feminist about it either. And like, let's be honest about that. When we're sold empowerment in the beauty aisle, we should be deeply skeptical of that, right? That's not where empowerment comes from. Anyone who is trying to make you feel vulnerable so that you buy a product is not interested in your empowerment. They're not interested in your well-being. Any cosmetics company that still says sell skin whitening creams today, I don't want to hear any feminist advertising coming out of that company. I'm not, I'm not going to believe it, right? This is not a legitimate source of progress. So we did a podcast episode previously on Botox, where we had an individual who was struggling with the pressure she felt around it, where we had a doctor of cosmetology join us. And we had this discussion about Botox and looked at it from a number of different angles. And a lot of people on our Instagram feed joined in the conversation and shared their thoughts. And there was definitely an underlying tone of as part of being a feminist and as part of being a progressive woman, we have the right to make whatever choice we want for our body. Mm -hmm. We have the right to do whatever we want. If we want to have, you know, inject our lips and have them a bit plumper, do that. That's your prerogative. So hearing you say this, sometimes we're starting to believe that we've chosen things when is it really our choice? I want to dive into that a little bit more if we can. Yeah, of course you have the right, but 
we also have the right to question these choices. We have the right to question whether they're good for us, whether they're healthy for us, whether they're fair, whether they're exacerbating things like classism and racism and sexism, right? We have a right to ask those questions, I think, without people saying, oh, you're being a woman hater because this is my choice. No, right. it is your choice and we get to have this conversation, right? I, th I think that we're totally capable of doing both. I'm capable of putting on lipstick and asking why I feel like I need to, right? right? I can do both of those things. I think we've been sold a bill of goods, right? If nobody was getting Botox, if women didn't feel like they needed to hold on to visible youth eternally, if women weren't treated as though their, their main form of currency is their ability to be sexy, to be hot, to be young forever, then I promise you, we wouldn't be going and getting toxins injected into our face, right? We only make that choice in a world where these are the conditions we face. Mm. Um, and I think it's fair to question those conditions. I'm not going to believe that something is sort of, is neutral for women if women are the only ones doing it. Now, of course, men get Botox too. People of all genders get Botox. I don't mean to imply otherwise, but when you look at the gender rates of these procedures, you're in the 90% for like the percentage of them done on women. And I would be curious yeah. to know as well with plastic surgery, the number of cosmetic procedures that are not health oriented, like you need to have this or you were in a car accident, but are just mm -hmm. cosmetic, what that percentage breakdown is between men and women. It's in the nineties. Yeah. It, it depends the on the 90s. country. Yeah. It's, it depends on the country and it depends also on whether you're looking at non-invasive procedures versus like sort of true surgeries, but it's at least 85% and most estimates put it more like 93, 94% women. So I, I think it's really important anytime we see a gap like that to poke at it a little, to interrogate mm. it, right. To think about what it means, because otherwise there's a real risk that we look at that and we say, mm, it's just part of being a woman. It's just natural that you're going to care about how you look. And I, I don't want to let the question off that easily. Why is it that there are these painful, expensive, time-consuming things that women feel like they need to do, but most men do not? So I feel like deeply within and through all the conversations <laughs> that I've had and, and talking to you right now, that all parts of me want to reject that pressure that is put on us. Mm -hmm. And yet I also personally feel like I'm swimming in a pool and I don't want to get left behind right. and I mm -hmm. want to fit in. And the option of doing the odd hit of Botox or getting the new outfit mm -hmm. or trying the new lip gloss, like it feels easy. It feels like you, you feel a little bit better about yourself for a minute after you do it. It's a quick hit fix. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure yeah. to show up in a certain way. So how the hell are we supposed to navigate this without us reaching a point where 20 years down the road, you're having this exact same conversation again? <laughs> I mean, this is the world we live in. Like I have to live in this world. If I go give a talk, I can't show up in what I'm wearing right now, which is my pandemic uniform of like... <laughs> of like t-shirt and soft pants, right? Like I, I understand yeah. that that's like a violation of all kinds of rules. And, you know, I'm so fortunate I'm vaccinated now, which means at some point I need to go get my hair cut because the fact that I've been cutting it myself for a little over years starting to show. Uh, the point is like, I mean, let me back up. I have people who will ask me when I do interviews, like, well, how did you find your way out of this to where you don't care about how you look anymore? And I 
tend to do this like snort laugh in response to them. Like, what are you talking about? I don't care how I look anymore. I'm human. Yeah. I'm a woman. I am aging. I'm hitting middle age. Nice, nice middle of middle age. I'm 45 now. Like, yeah, of course this gets to be, but I don't think we should underestimate the power of small changes. Uh, and I think sometimes I think people who care about these issues, I think find me not, not radical enough sometimes. And part of that comes from the fact that I'm a psychologist who tends to focus on individual behavior and individual psychology. I don't know how to fix the world. I don't know how to undermine the beauty industry. Like I, that's not what I've trained for. That's not my job. But I do know that when you're living in a sick world, there are still some things you can do to protect yourself and protect the people you care about, right? Mm -hmm. To try to make life a little better for the people around you. I think it's really important to make this distinction. I'm focusing on how we think, how we feel, how we talk, but we also need to recognize that when we're talking about appearance pressures, it's a luxury to be able to think about those things, right? There are other people that appearance pressures for them have to do with being in danger of harassment or assault because of how they look or being discriminated against because of their body size, right? Those are different issues, but I think the, the psychological pieces can matter. I think they can, maybe they're just little band-aids, but like you slap enough of them on and maybe you start to feel a little better. And when you feel a little better, maybe you can reclaim a bit of that time and some of that money and some of that energy and take a moment and think, what am I going to do with this now? I found some more time. Mm. What, do, what do I want to do with that? I think we should give people space to do that. I think one of my favorite parts of my job, and I always say this when people start the reset is I start the conversation with my clients and it always begins in a conversation about their relationship with food and their body. Mm -hmm. And it always ends in a conversation about the connections that they have with the humans around them, mm -hmm. leaning more deeply into their purpose, finding time for activities that bring them joy and connecting to the things that make them feel better in their body. So the more that we can create a little bit of space between this inner dialogue and the inner feelings that we have around, you know, the specifics of what we look like and what our gene size is and what the scale says, mm -hmm. the more capacity we have to lean into things that I think we know truly lead to a more fulfilled, mm -hmm. happy, content life. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. Pushing pause on my conversation with Renee because I want to tell you about this new bracelet that I just bought myself. Yes, I'm a huge fan of buying myself flowers and even buying myself the odd piece of jewelry, especially when it's something that's going to mark a special life milestone. You don't have to wait around for your husband or your partner or a guy or that you know, person that you're waiting for to buy you jewelry. You can get it yourself, <laughs> whether it's for your graduation or a new job or surviving a global pandemic. I love jewelry and how it can tell a story of special moments in your life. I wanted something to celebrate our Raw Beauty Reset launch with Caitlin, and I found the most beautiful bracelet from Row Collective. Row Collective is a small Latina-owned fine jewelry company with meticulously handcrafted, high-quality, ethically sourced gold, gemstones, and diamonds. Everything is made out of 14 karat yellow gold, and it's handmade in New York. If you've been thinking of treating someone that you love, or better yet, yourself, use the code RAW to get 15% off your next order at therowcollective.com. That's the row, R-O, collective.com. Use that code RAW at checkout for 15% off. Everything on the site is beyond stunning. And I feel like, oh my goodness, I wish I could have that Oprah moment where I could just send this to every single person who's listening. Maybe one day I'm just going to put that out into the universe. But for now, treat yourself. Go check out therowcollective.com and all of their beautiful handcrafted jewelry and take that 15% off using the code RAW. All right, let's get back to the show. So whenever my kids get an owie, literally Brooklyn gets like the tiniest nick. They immediately need a Band-Aid. A lot of the time, these things aren't even bleeding, but we put the Band-Aid on and then everyone's better. So I'm a big believer in the power of a real Band-Aid or a metaphorical Mm Band-Aid. Can you share some Band-Aids with us? Yeah, absolutely. Little small things, right? You have to push back. You have to start at the micro level. And I 
think all the time about what can you do in the moment when you feel bad. And one of the things I think we underestimate is the power of distraction and the, the positive power of distraction. We're used to thinking of distraction as the thing that keeps us from getting our stuff done, right? And that, that's not fun. But when you are in that kind of body image spiral, maybe you're in front of the mirror, right? Or you're in a place where you're not feeling comfortable in your body and it's distracting you. There's a tendency to engage, 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 right? To just to ruminate and cycle. And I think often in that moment, your best choice is to mentally walk away. And the only way to do that is to replace those thoughts with something else. And maybe sometimes for you, that's like watching videos of pandas playing or like whatever it is that can help you break <laughs> I out. I love it. But in a really good way, to get out of that self-focus is to think about someone else. I'm often sort of preaching this, that one of the terrible things that beauty sickness does to is it makes us too focused on ourselves and how we look. And we can lose some of that connection with the people around us. We know from decades of research on happiness now that having close, meaningful relationships with other people has a substantial impact on our well-being. Like that the correlation between physical attractiveness and happiness is pretty small. I'm not saying it's not there but it's pretty small yeah. relationships. You get a lot more bang for your buck, right? So if you are in that bad place, one of the best things you can do is take a moment, think of someone you care about, or, or even someone you don't know that well, and decide to do something to make their life better, mm. right? Is it sending a thoughtful text or email? Is it like bringing somebody something? Is it doing a favor for them? Is it helping a little bit? It is such a powerful thing to do. And it helps your relationships, right? And it refocuses you on the things that matter. I talk to a lot of women around my age or maybe a little younger who are reckoning with this feeling of, it's a simultaneously a feeling of freedom and a feeling of disappearing, right? Because you get, I'm sort of feeling it myself around the age I am now, is yeah. that you, you start to feel invisible in your culture. And in some ways, that's pretty nice. Like, I don't really get catcalled anymore. But there's also this real sense of like, Oh, it's because I'm not valued anymore, right? It's because women are valued so much for how they look. And when you don't look like you're in your twenties anymore, people are going to treat you differently. And I've had a lot of women ask me, well, what are you supposed to do about that? And the way I think about it is that we're all standing on some kind of foundation. And if your foundation is your appearance, that's super wobbly, right? Like it's not stable because you will age. <laughs> you will, if you're lucky. The alternative is not good, right? So if you're lucky, you will age. And our culture ties youth and beauty together so inextricably. We're never going to get away from that. So you have to have a foundation that's more stable. And one of the most stable ways to build your foundation is on your connections with other people, mm -hmm. right? On meaningful relationships. So if you feel like you're putting too much energy into worrying about how you look, try shooting some of that energy toward a relationship that matters to you. And I, I think you'd just be amazed how it's a respite, right? It can give you a little bit of a break. And I think it just takes, it takes practice, right? I think I you got to do almost some, you got to do some cognitive techniques. You got to just say enough, right? Enough. I'm going to do something else right now. I remember going to a therapy session and I had, you know, some intrusive thoughts. It wasn't related to my appearance, but I feel mm -hmm. like when I was struggling with an eating disorder in my appearance, the thoughts also felt very intrusive. Mm -hmm. And when you said, sometimes we can like ruminate in those thoughts and we just get caught in them. And all of a sudden they ruin our whole day. That was my story for so long. And she just said, when you start to notice those thoughts coming into your mind, remember that it's not always the truth. 
And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, but like, they're still there. And I still want to kind of like sit with them and analyze them and figure out solutions to them. And she's like, I would recommend that you don't. And that instead just Mm -hmm. label it as thoughts Mm -hmm. or thinking, and then find something else to do. So, so aligned with what you're suggesting right now, not allowing that thought to continue down the spiral, Mm -hmm. remove yourself, distract yourself with something fun and light what are your thoughts on, because I feel like the number one way that young women distract themselves these days mm. is by going to their phone and turning yeah. on social media. What are your thoughts on curating a feed that's going to be supportive for these so moments? First, I would say don't underestimate just cutting it down, right? I, I would never ask anyone to give it up entirely. I don't think I could, but curating is never really going to be the cure. Right. Ah, So you can put, you can put healthier content in your feed for sure. And I encourage you to do so. If you're following someone that makes you feel bad, just stop, (laughs) just, just hide them. Like they don't even have to know you did it. Right. But like, just stop. You don't, you don't need that. It's, It's not helping you. But what we know from research on this topic is that not only do people end up feeling worse after spending time on social media, but they also sort of routinely report that they feel like they've wasted time. Absolutely. Right. That it's this moment where it's like, it feels fun, but then later you're like, why did I do that? Where did the time go? So I usually suggest to people be ready, right? Have a little list, whether it's in your head or on your phone or on a piece of paper of like, what would I rather be doing? Yeah. So when you have that moment where you're like, what did I just waste time on? What do you wish you had done instead? Right. Gone for a walk, called a friend, read a book, have that list. And just think about it every time you're about to pick up your phone, think, do I want to do this or do I want to do one of these other things? Yes. Right. And it can be a way of, of cutting it down. And I think the other thing to remember about social media is sometimes we really underestimate how awful our social media engagement makes us feel. Right. And you're like, no, I need to follow these people because they're popular and important and they're sharing beauty tricks or they're doing whatever. I promise you, if you stop, you are not going to miss it. When I first started doing work in this area, fashion magazines were like the big evil. Now I don't, do people read fashion magazines anymore? I don't know. I think they're still out there, but, and I would have like young people tell me like, but there's really important information in there. <laughs> Just No, it's like 20 <laughs> articles repackaged with new headlines. Every time your life is not going to get worse. If you don't do that, if you watch one YouTube makeup tutorial, instead of 10, the quality of your life can only get better. It will not get worse. So, so yes, curate your feeds, but also limit them, right? Try to be more intentional in how you want to spend your time. And sometimes we need to zone out. I get it. Right. But there are lots of different ways to zone out. Why not watch your favorite show? Mm. Right. Or make a phone call or something. do something right. And instead of just, just scrolling and looking at pictures so when you first contacted me about doing this, so the woman emailed me, it's like, do you have a picture you could send and maybe something like more stripped down? But my first thought was, oh shit, not the pictures. Because as a general rule, I do not take pictures and I do not allow pictures to be taken of me. Now I have exceptions. Like I have some professional headshots that I yes. use for, for those sorts of things. They're a little out of date now probably, but, or, you know, if I'm with a family member, I hardly ever see, like we might snap a picture or something, yeah. but I just don't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't think there's any way you can be taking pictures of yourself and not be thinking about how you look. It was different when I was young in the very old days, because you took a picture and then you had to go get the film developed. Right. And you totally. couldn't totally you couldn't, like redo it. Versions of that yeah, you couldn't 
edit it and filter it and do all the things. I don't think there's any way of engaging in that kind of behavior all the time and still protecting your mental health. I think that at some point you have to put some limits around that. And it's easy for me to say, I'm not an influencer. I don't have to put images of myself anywhere. Um, so when you ask me for a picture, I was like, well, shit, do I even like, like, what do I have? And so I go through my phone, which mostly seems to be pictures of flowers and dogs that I see. <laughs> I love it. And yeah, so the one I found was one that my partner took when my dad was teaching me to do demolition. We were doing some construction and I had never done that before. Yes. And I'm wearing like these grubby work clothes and I like a crowbar and power tools. <laughs> and I like threw my head back in this like wicked laugh because I felt so powerful and destructive. And I'm like, okay, I like that picture. Like, but that's a really different kind of picture, mm -hmm. right? It was in the moment. It was one shot. Yes. It was not edited. It was not posted anywhere. I don't yes. think. So I, I know like some people, they don't have a choice, right? Yes. But a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a fine balance of people now are, I mean, we capture every moment on camera in some way. And so it could feel hard to like quit that cold Turkey, mm -hmm. but I do think being mindful about the amount that we're taking pictures yeah. and photographing and connected to our phone. I think truly one of the things that I hear most commonly that is triggering to women and negative body image is viewing pictures of themselves. And right. we talk a lot about how a camera is catching this like 2D version of you that mm. cannot capture your energy. It's different angles, depending on the lighting, you're going to look different. It's a snapshot in time. You can't hear your voice. You don't know like what that laugh sounds like that you're doing in the moment. And yet women will see a photo of themselves and it turns into a spiral that can mm -hmm. result in so much anxiety and depression and all the things. So, so we know that's true, right? Yes. We know all of this is true. There's not a way to fix that. Other now, than I should not say, taking the photos. Yeah. I mean, there's a few exceptions. Like I know like a couple of like online influencers who have gotten really good at just taking pictures as they are and using that as a way to sort of challenge the narrative around yes. bodies and around appearance. Yes. But most of the people online who even claim to be doing that are not, right? Instead, what they're doing is the double trick, which is I will take a picture of myself in which I pretend to be natural and not care about how I look, but actually, you know, that's not true because behind the scenes, I took 20 of those and I filtered it. So it looked like I didn't have makeup on when I actually did. And then you're selling this terrible story, right? You're saying, I don't care about how I look while you care about how you look. And yes. you're saying I'm all natural. And so you give people but this impression filtered. that it's, yeah, that it's easy to look like that when it's not easy to look like that. And I think we have to be really, really careful about what we're selling. Right. And we need to be honest too, that a lot of people who are doing sort of like body positive influencing post those pictures because they still meet conventional beauty norms for the most part. Right. Oh, interesting. And, and it's like, well, it's easy to put a bikini shot of yourself online when you have a tiny, tiny bit of a stomach. <laughs> and I don't mean to imply that can be there. Are can some women feel with really hard. tiny, tiny bits of stomach who are suffering. Right. Yeah. I don't mean to minimize that, yeah, yeah. but I do think we need to think about what we're contributing to there. When we call that brave, like, what well, does that say about being brave yeah. is crazy that, that, and this is being used a lot. And I heard Glennon Doyle talk about this as well. Like you're so brave for sharing your thoughts. You're so brave for posting that photo of your body. It's like, how do we get to the point where just being yourself is brave, where just showing yeah. up and like having cellulite is brave and courageous. Mm -hmm. 
What are your thoughts though? There are a lot of women in the body positivity world, like Sarah Nicole Landry, Mick Zazon, Ariel Astoria, who have, I mean, I know it's still, their bodies are still an acceptable societal size, but they are showing up with cellulite and postpartum bodies that aren't necessarily the norm as to what we see from the beauty industry. And I do feel Mm -hmm. like they've disrupted this area and allowed a greater audience to see themselves in the women that they're seeing in media. Do you feel like that's still harmful? I think it can be good and bad, right? I I really struggle with this because representation matters. Like it matters to see people who look like you. It does matter, but we are not going to solve this problem with more pictures right? There's something bigger going on here. So, well, I think that matters and I think it can help, right? If nothing else, it can get us acclimated to seeing different kinds of bodies and remembering yeah. that those other bodies exist in the world. Yes. It's still an appearance focus, right? Again, I don't think we can go down to zero. We don't, we don't live in a world where appearance doesn't matter. Yes. Like that, that is a big part of our lives and our livelihood sometimes, but we're not going to make people feel better about how they look by making them think more about how they look. Mm. So what I'm more interested in is other ways that we can be brave besides just existing in our bodies without shame, because don't get me wrong. It's miracle when it happens, you know, but it's not the part that matters most, right? It's, Mm. I'm much more interested in what women are doing and what women are saying and what they're building and what they're creating and the, the dent they're trying to make on the world and the way they're trying to change the world. And I do think that there are some people doing that through changing representation. Mm, right? A part of their, their passion and their connect, the ability to connect with people in that mm-hmm. way. I mean, I think about my own journey starting Raw Beauty Co. And it began with an interview series where I got to have really raw conversations with women. Mm-hmm. And this was years ago, back in 2014. And I always say starting Raw helped save me from my body image and eating disorders and that struggle. Now, I truly feel like I'm in a space where the amount of airtime that my body gets mm-hmm. is so low that, you know, I, I hardly ever think about it. That being said, I'm naturally born into a body that is mm-hmm. thinner, but I, I know that it, it took up a tremendous amount of time for over 12 years of my life finding something that I was passionate about connecting with other women, as you mentioned, is so important and finding that community, being able to put my skills to work, Mm -hmm. being able to develop those skills and having something to focus on that felt bigger and more important than my body truly saved me. Now, my body might not be something that I think about. I am for sure finding that the aging piece and like the Mm. wrinkles and looking tired and where did these bags come from? That part's like getting a little bit more noisy every year, but I'm also applying all these tools that we use and that we talk about in relation to the body. I mean, our face and, and aging is all part of that conversation. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you asked about band-aids earlier. Yes. There's another favorite band-aid I have, which is changing our conversations. Right. And I think it fits a lot with what you just said. So we talk too much about how we look and about how other people look. Right. We spend a lot of time talking about, we need to lose weight. We want to lose weight. We're on this diet. We bought this new product. We look cute. We don't look cute. And we obsess about other people look. That is a really powerful force in women's life. And one of the easiest that we can shut down. So one of the challenges I often make to people is to just stop talking about how you look 
and stop talking about how other people look. And it doesn't mean you're not going to think about it, right? You will still, but you'll think about it less. And one of the reasons that I really stick to that advice is because I'm so curious about what other conversations will happen. So if you meet up with your old friend and instead of being like, oh, I gained weight, I didn't, I this, right? What if you talked about something else? What might that something else be, right? And I think it can be a real gift, especially within communities of women to open doors to those other conversations. So when you talk about giving your eating disorder less space, giving your body image less space, something else got to have that space, right? And I worry a lot about what parts of our lives, what parts of our talents and our interests are not getting enough attention and airtime because it's so easy to get sucked into talking about dieting and about beauty. And again, I don't want to judge anyone to have these conversations, right? But there are other conversations we could be having. Um, I talked to a, a parent once and she said, like, are you saying I shouldn't call my daughter beautiful? And it's like, yeah, this is, I don't have a rule, right? But if I did, it would suggest that when you compliment, particularly a young girl, that you might think about complimenting her about things she has more control over in this world, right? right? Other parts of herself. And she said, well, when I call her beautiful, I'm not talking about how she looks. What I'm talking about is the fact that she lights up my world. And I said, well, then tell her that, right? <laughs> like use those words. Like, right. I think we can be so good at connecting with each other. And there are so many ways to do that, that don't have to fall back on who's gained weight, who's lost weight, who looks good, who looks bad, who's cute, How beautiful who's not you are. cute, right? How'd you get that tan? What product are you using? Yeah. I know. It's I one know. of the reasons I don't post pictures, because if you post a picture, people will talk about how you look, even if it's kind, right? Even if it's nice. And I don't want to think about how I look any more than I already do. The compliments are truly just as dangerous. I mean, again, another thing that I hear all the time, and I, I like sharing these because I know that people who are listening, you know, might resonate with it is somebody will lose weight, whatever, get a new haircut. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, Oh my God, you look amazing. And the immediate thought that follows that is, did I not look amazing before yeah. Will they stop saying this? If I gain weight again, all of a sudden, everybody's noticing me. Will that right. disappear if my weight right. changes? And so then you're sort of locked into this space where, mm -hmm. again, it feels like your value lies in, in the way that you look. Yeah. And I think it's okay to use judgment. I think sometimes people get really mad at me and they're like, it's my best friend. She got a new haircut. I'm going to talk. I'm like, okay, you know, each other, right. You have a foundation. Like right. I'm, I'm not saying you can't ever do this, but I think particularly when it comes to commenting on people's bodies, right. I think there's almost never space for that. You have no idea where someone's body has been, what they've gone through, what they're trying to do. They lose weight and you compliment them. How are they going to feel when they gain weight? Because yeah. they most certainly will right? They most certainly will, because that's how diets work. Or how are they going to feel if you compliment them, but they had lost weight because they were sick, right? Or how does the other person who hears you compliment them feel knowing that they're in a much bigger body than the one you just complimented? Right? Yes. And so I'm not trying to give oh. people rules. I'm not saying like, you can't say this, you can't say that. But I think that one of the ways we reveal what matters to us is by talking about it right? The more words, the more conversational time we give to something, the more it matters to us. If you're talking about politics all the time, presumably it's because politics matters to you. If you're talking about your kids all the time, 
because they matter to you because you're thinking about them all the time. If you're talking about looks all the time, you're giving it, I think, too much space, right? You're feeding it when you could be feeding something else. If like the best friends that you have or the people that are closely tied to you are so intelligent, so smart, are doing incredible things in the world, but also seem to have like a love for fashion and beauty and the coolest lip gloss Mm -hmm. or this or that. And that's part of the point of connection. Mm -hmm. How do you then a find the courage to steer the conversation in another direction without totally segmenting yourself from the group, which Mm -hmm. isn't only about that any tactical advice for putting this into action? It can can be so awkward, right? And so I think my my first rule is always be kind, just be kind, right? And the truth is, if you and your friend are totally into makeup and you enjoy it and it brings you pleasure and you want to talk about makeup, then that's your hobby. Then like, I'm not not judging that, right? (laughs) But a lot of this is habit. And if every time your friend wants to talk about diets, you change the topic, or you just give kind of a short answer and move on, it's behavior modification. It works, right? So I do like a regular zoom thing. And every once in a while, someone will do something fat shamey about themselves, not about someone else. I just don't say anything. Right. I just don't engage. It's not a conversation I want to have. I don't, I don't have room for that right now. And the other thing you can do when you actually have a real relationship with someone is you can ask them to help you. So if you are struggling with body image, or if you're just trying to create a less fat phobic world or a less beauty obsessed world, you can pull them aside at some other time and say, there's this thing I'm trying to do, right? Where I'm really trying to not think so much about this topic or to not think so much about weight. And so one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying not to have conversations about that. And do you mind if, if we don't, or if we do less of that, do you mind trying to help me with that? So that you're really, you're putting it on yourself. You're not judging. You're not saying you talk about this too much. You're saying, I need this. Like, I need this for me. Can you help me? And I think the people who love you, it might take some practice, but they'll be on board, right? They'll be on board. Um, It's taken some work. My mom, for example, I think she's from a generation where you talk about women being pretty. It's just like the ultimate thing you can say about someone is that they're pretty. And there's a lot of talk about who is pretty and who's not pretty. Um, And it's taken me like a lot of practice with her to say like, I don't want to know that. Right. Like, oh, I saw your cousin's kid. So pretty. And I'll say like, (laughs) I don't care. Got anything else? Like I'll say, mom? I'll be like, I don't care. Let's not talk about that. And if you say it kind of light and joking, she'll, you know, it starts off like, oh, Renee. But then we just don't do it anymore, right? Totally. And we talk, we talk about other things. And it's such a gift, particularly if you have young children in your household, yes. to give them a household where they're not hearing the message that what matters most about people is how they look. They're going to get that message out in the world. Right. So let them build up a buffer in your home. Let them think about other things. Let them talk about other things. I love that. My son, you know, we're always telling them that the most important thing about them is how they treat other people and that, you know, exactly what you say, like they light up the room and blah, blah, blah. And he got dressed and he put on this pair of sweatpants that I've been hiding that I hate. (laughs) He said, I found them. (laughs) I've hidden them. And he put on like a top that just like completely clashed with it. Everything was clashing. He walked out. He was so proud. He'd gotten himself dressed. And every part of me was just like, oh my God, I can't let him go to school like this. He looks like a wild man. And so I I was like, okay, take a breath. And I'm like, Hey Jay, those sweatpants are actually our weekend sweatpants. So I'm wondering if we can just pop on a different pair. And he looked me deadpan in the eyes and he's like, what I look like doesn't matter. (laughs) And I was like, 
damn it, he's got me. And I was so proud of him. And off he went in his like multicolored tie-dye sweatpants with this shirt that was completely clashing. And, you know, it's like we're constantly having these little tests to remind yeah. us of what really is important. And it's pretty cool when your kids start to reflect back. The trip. I love, I love that. You're like, <laughs> yep. Got me. You got me on that You're one. Right. And you know what? I bet he was fine. <laughs> he was totally fine. He was fine. Absolutely fine. Oh my goodness. Okay. Recap of some of the band-aids that you gave us. So making micro changes, not expecting to go to point A to point B overnight, distracting yourself when you're in those shame spirals or moments that feel a little desperate around body image, taking time to invest in relationships more than taking time to invest in things related to appearance, mm -hmm. that the payback will always be greater. It will build a more solid foundation underneath you when we are looking at how to build relationships and how to give to others that outward approach versus constantly looking inward, limiting screen time and the amount that we're connected and seeing these images and then changing our conversations so that they're not so appearance focused. Anything okay. else to add to the list? A plus on your report. <laughs> that was super, that was super well done. Well, you're such an incredible teacher. I know why you have all the <laughs> on the back there. Makes so much sense. <laughs> that is so nice. I think if I had to throw in one more thing, I would just say, don't forget about the self-compassion. Don't forget when we're talking about kindness and treating other people with kindness and not judging other people about how they look. Don't forget to try to turn some of that on yourself. It really goes both ways. Like the more you can speak about and to yourself compassionately, the more you, you build your capacity for that compassion and the more you can show it to other people in the world around you. And so I think there's, there's no reason not to give it a try right? Just to sort of like shift your way of talking and thinking a little bit so that you're, you're talking to your body the way you would talk to someone you love. Right? Can we go through an actual example of that? Because mm -hmm. I know sometimes people hear that and their brain shuts off and they're like, she wants me to be so positive about a body that I just like, there's no way of getting there. So we know that there's this space of sort of negative body image and positive mm -hmm. body image, but there's a really beautiful area in the between of neutral body image and mm -hmm. sometimes that can be a nice stepping stone. So if somebody's like thinking to themselves, wow, I've really let myself go over the last year with the pandemic and everything. Mm -hmm. How would you take a more compassionate approach? Well, so first of all, that always gets me that language, let myself go. Cause I'm always saying, yep, let yourself go do something besides worry about how you look. Right. So if you let yourself go, I'm guessing you let yourself go focus on survival. You let yourself go focus on keeping your family safe. Right. You let yourself go worry about your mental health more than your weight. That's you let yourself good. go follow yeah. your passion and you sat at your computer more that year. And that's all good. It's yes, all fine. But out. we have compassionate voice. We're just not used to giving it to ourselves. I think, especially as women, we are trained to be sensitive to other people's needs and to sort of forget what ours are. So the easiest way to tap into that self-compassion is to take an outsider's perspective, right? So there's a, a really common self-compassion exercise that says, think about somebody who loves you unconditionally. They know your flaws, they know your weaknesses, and they love you unconditionally. What would they say to you? Mm. Right. What would they say to your body? So that's one way you can do it. I think people get confused about positive body image. They're like, oh, positive body image means you think you look hot all the time. 
Like that, no, that's like, you don't need to feel beautiful, to be an okay person. Like if you do, that's awesome. If you feel attractive, great. I bet that's fun, right? Enjoy it. But you don't need that. I don't think that's a bar we need to cross. You do not have to feel beautiful. You do not have to feel pretty. What you do want to move toward is feeling worthy of respect, right? To feeling worthy of being heard, to trusting yourself, to building relationships that you can trust. And so you don't need to say, if you're in front of the mirror and you're like, oh, I hate how my legs look. You don't need to turn that into my legs look hot. That's, that's ridiculous. That doesn't work. That's like the dub self-esteem method, right? That's like, how dare you feel ugly? Like shut that down. It's not your job to feel pretty. It's not your job. What can you do instead is think about your body in other terms, right? Think about it in terms of the gifts it gives you, what it does for you, what it allows you to do, right? Think of it as the sort of miracle that it is, the processes it's running every day to keep you going, Right. Think about it as your home, the thing that lets you communicate, right? I'm always pushing women who are like my arms, my arms, my bingo wings. This is a term I've heard used. Right. And I was like, you mean those arms that hug the people you love or those arms you're talking about? Right. So think about what you do with your body. Think about how it lets you express yourself, how it lets you communicate. You live in a world that will want you to think about your body like a thing, like an object, like something that just exists for someone else's pleasure. That is not the job of your body, right? So give your body a break. Goosebumps. Oh my God. Rewind that. Listen back to it. Rewind it. Listen back to it. it. That is so true. You don't have to feel beautiful to be an okay person, to be a good person, to be a great person. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. It was so fun talking with you. I'm so excited to have a new pack of Band-Aids that will be (laughs) at everybody's disposal. If you ever need a Band-Aid, hit me up. I'll send some over to you and remind you of all these incredible, impactful messages that Renee has shared with us today. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for sharing your voice with us and the things that you've learned. You have to get Renee's book, Beauty Sick, How Our Cultural Obsession with Appearance is Making Us Unwell. Where else can people connect with you? Well, that's what you're interested in. Um, I I dabble in Instagram, although my students will tell you that I don't dabble well, Um, (laughs) but I'm at beauty underscore sick on Instagram. Um, If you want to know more about the research my lab does on these topics, um, you can find that at bodyandmedia.com. Or you can find out more about my book at beautysick.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, share it, tag at raw beauty talks and at beauty underscore sick. We'll reground them. Well, I will. I don't know. We'll depend if Renee's on her phone at that time, but we would love it if you could share her very important message with those that you love. And I will see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, 
and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.